Hey, Larry. How's it going? Hey, Roman. How are you doing? Good. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. I hope you had a Merry UXmas. It was a very Merry UXmas. I tried to do as little UX as possible in my, <laughs> in my, in my UXmas. <laughs> very good. Uh, what did Santa bring you? Um, Santa brought me a new guitar to make. So I have some materials to make that next guitar coming. Wow. Sounds like Santa did a really good job of knowing exactly what you wanted this yeah, year. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how he's so perceptive of things such as that. That's amazing. You know, Santa did a great job knowing exactly what I wanted this year, too. And what was that? I got a DJI um, Osmo Mobile handheld gimbal for your iPhone. Oh, sweet. And... um. You know, one of those things that I would have uh, never really thought to buy myself, but, you know, like come across the ad and you go, oh, wow, that's really cool. How it gets you that like smooth video and that'd be fun to play with. So I sent a um, kind of, you know, thoughtless text to Santa saying, hey, this would be kind of fun to have. Not really expecting that to show up under the tree, but it did and uh, had a lot of fun with it. Cool. Uh, you can now make your next uh, f feature film on your iPhone. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, you know, when I see a, a really cool gizmo like that, I, I'm always kind of skeptical about like, this is a filmmaker using a prosumer tool and getting great results. But can I, the actual prosumer, <laughs> you know, get good results out of your gizmo? So right. I kind of felt like it might be one of those sort of things where they can do amazing stuff with, you know, filming, uh, you know, long sweeping skateboard video and, and snowboarding, but I can't, you know, get <laughs> a family interaction, but quite the opposite. I got really cool results. Uh, we went up to uh, the mountains for Christmas and the kids were playing in the snow. And so I got video of them sledding and it just came out really smooth and really sharp and, uh, uh, I got a, a, what do they call it, uh, a time-lapse video, long long shutter with uh, the family playing Jenga. So it was like the most epic Jenga battle ever and uh, cut the whole thing and then compressed it down into a minute. And it looks great. It's really fun. Wow, that sounds really good. I um, kind of want one of those now. Um, <laughs> I actually make sort of, you know, movies with my, with my children. Uh, my, my son and I've made a couple of zombie movies together and it would have been really nice to have, uh, a, uh, a, a device like that. At some yeah. Point yeah. In this. Absolutely. <laughs> Shooting. Um, yeah, but cool. That sounds good. I'll have to bring it out. Uh, when I, when I come out there pretty soon. Hey, speaking of uh, being out there soon, uh, just a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, you actually have a chance to meet uh, both of us from UX Like Us in person very soon. Yes, we are going to be at the uh, UX Camp DC on Saturday. I'm frantically looking at for my calendar <laughs> so I could figure out what day that is. Saturday, January 12th. Um, it is an all-day event in... Um, uh, Washington DC. It's UX camp. It's one of those um, unconference camps where it just you everybody shows up and it sort of self organizes and you sign up to talk about something and they sort of vote and they split up into these different rooms and everybody can just sort of interact and have these very informal talks and it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, the company that we're we work for is, are sponsoring it. Um, but we are uh, the both of us will also be there and 
Um, there might be, I hear rumors of there may be some stickers. Uh, for, <laughs> uh, UX like us stickers available? Yeah, that's right. I'm working on uh, some some swag to hang, hand out at the conference. So uh, really excited about that. And I hope if you've been listening to the show that you'll uh, make a point of introducing yourself. Uh, another really good reason to go is the, the primary reason that we happen to be there is that uh, the company that we work at is actually seeking candidates. So um, between us and undoubtedly a few other uh, sponsors, seeking talent, uh, it'd be a good opportunity to come out and, uh, and meet some people if you're, uh, considering a move this year. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's an awesome conference as well. So you should just come out anyway. Right on. And maybe we'll have some stickers for you. Maybe. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, we're always trying to get people to interact on Twitter. Uh, today the, the call to action is, uh, let us know, do you want a, a two by two inch sticker or a three by three inch sticker? <laughs> yeah, because Roman texted me earlier today and asked me that, and I never answered him. So now he's <laughs> he's going to he's going to crowdsource the information now. That's right. Well, you know how much uh, real estate on the back of your MacBook is too much to ask. You know. Yeah, that's right. Um, I have no stickers on my MacBook. Hmm. I resisted I for a I'm long time. Hip. Yeah, I, you know, the, it's kind of like why I don't have a tattoo is I could never really commit to something. I never really did stickers on my MacBook for kind of the same reason. But um, when you get into that situation where, you know, you're working with a team consistently and everybody's computer is identical, you start going, well, I just need to be able to not grab the wrong computer walking out of here. There you go. So cool. So, yeah, we'll see you at uh, DC UX camp on January 12th in Washington, DC. Woohoo. So speaking of DC UX camp, um, we were at the OCUX uh, holiday party. Uh, again, our, our company was uh, presenting there. And um, so speaking of the DC UX camp, uh, we were at the OCUX holiday party. Uh, what was it a week, two weeks ago? Um, we were also presenting there and, uh, you know, just kind of visiting with the uh, community. And uh, Ryan introduced me to several people uh, and made reference to the fact that I am the design strategist. And uh, more than once, I got a quizzical uh, expression <laughs> on the other person's face, clearly wondering what in the world is a design strategist. And I'm embarrassed to say I didn't really actually have a good prepared answer. Um, it's something that uh, kind of a role I've been carving out and growing into over the last year. And uh, still don't, you know, have a real tidy response for, for what I do. So I thought maybe we could uh, chat about what is a design strategist. Yeah. Um, so it's not one of those things kind of like, you know, the those who can't um, teach. It's not one of those <laughs> things, right? <laughs> I, I hope. Right. <laughs> yeah. As I, as I heard that one is uh, those who can do and those who can't coach. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, yeah. So when I think of design strategy, it's like, let's take a step back and, you know, look at, you know, what is, what do we talk about when we talk about design? There's like, you know, actually there's the actual doing the things that, you know, we, the, the things that we are designing and then this, there's the things that we should design. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so whenever I think of the, you know, strategist design strategist side of things, I think, you know, maybe more on the left side of the double diamond thinking of, you know, what are the things that we should be doing? Um, um, as opposed to, you know, the the actual execution of the things after we've decided what we were going to make. So it's kind of um, a little bit in, in, in my mind, it's working on 
the, you know, almost the product management side of things. Um, it's, you know, cause you know, product management has traditionally been the side of the company that, you know, the side of the, the, the role that is the person deciding, you know, what, are, these are the things that we are going to build. These are the things that we're going to work on. These are the things that we are going to focus on. And it's, um, traditionally been, you know, uh, you know, based upon market data or just, you know, mm-hmm, conversations mm-hmm. with, with, with the, the, the buyer persona, but, you know, working in enterprise software, you know, we also can't just, focus on the buyer persona you also have to focus on the people that are actually using this this these 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 tools that we are creating for them and um focusing on them so that they can be successful so that their company can be successful and so when i think of design strategies i think of left side double diamond and and, and what are the things that we should be working on and what we should be designing yeah i like that uh, left side of the double diamond uh particularly because it gives us a really nice uh, sharp polygon that we can uh, reference <laughs> when we're discussing <laughs> looks good on a slide you know exactly um in a similar line of thinking uh i see it as a design strategist is gonna do three things primarily um and that's make the vision tangible two is connect the vision to the business strategy and then three, craft a plan to execute the strategy. And the reason we do those three things is because it does, it makes a nice triangle that you can put on a, a strategy diagram. If you wanted to do more than three things, well, you'd have to add at least two so that you can make a nice uh, pentagon because you don't want to end up with a square. That's like the least sexy of all the polygons. Oh yeah, you can't have a you can't have a square on a on a on a, on a pitch <laughs> on a pitch deck. You know, people will be like, they'll laugh you out of the room. <laughs> Secret strategy tip number one: When faced with a square, turn it at an angle to make it a diamond. Right. <laughs> I'm giving away all my good secrets here. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Yeah. So you know, uh, like you, I like to kind of you know look back at you know the evolution of things like this, whether it's a a, a, a phrase or a, you know a job. Um, in this case, uh, you know, strategy very much comes from the military context, you know, for, for millennia. Um, I read a, read a book called On Killing by Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. And in it, he cites um, lots of uh, really robust studies done over centuries about military effectiveness. And this is something that militaries have done a good job of actually measuring uh, over time. So there's like conflict between... Um, what a, uh, a squad of soldiers was capable of doing, you know, efficacy wise in terms of shooting their rifles at targets versus um, the, uh, the kill and wounding rate of what was seen on the battlefield. So through that, he, he makes the argument that essentially throughout most of history, um, the militaries have really sought to uh, avoid um fighting and and killing each other to the extent possible. So that's where they came up with crazy uniforms and drums and all this stuff to try to intimidate the other army so that they never even really had to fight. Um, So when I think about things like that, I think about how a strategist would be looking for ways to say like, Oh, well, can we wear really tall hats so that we look taller than we are? <laughs> and, you know, what if we all like memorized a really cool chant and, you know, <laughs> yell the Hakan at people? That would surely make the uh, work environment more fun. 
<laughs> right. All right, everybody. It's time for the <laughs> take your shirt off. <laughs> so you know, if a if a military strategist would be looking for ways to increase, uh, you know, their their efficacy through using things like the terrain or through even you know like psychological tricks uh, in order to limit the amount of casualties that they'd incur and, and maximize the effectiveness of uh, of a military unit. Then I look at, you know, strategy then uh, moves into like the business context, still very heavily uh, influenced by uh, the military context. Um, certainly a lot of, you know, business strategy people always cite uh, Sun Tzu and, and the art of war, right? Like, uh, mm. you know, as if this was <laughs> you know, the right way to, to conduct business. And, you know, maybe within certain domains it is, but... Um, it's interesting that there's uh, kind of a conflict between uh, classical strategy always being through a lens of winner takes all to kind of the more modern realities where people expect businesses to behave more more ethically and more socially responsibly. And so um, just to, to try to tie all that together, you know, I think of things like design strategists as being responsible for, you know, executing that um, that business strategy. Um, but also considering um, all parties to the transaction, including things like, um, you know, not only the, the, the customer, the consumer, the buyer, um, but then also looking at things like uh, ethics, uh, security, um, you know, long-term impacts, uh, things that traditionally haven't been part of that core, you know, say, uh, you know, business-driven mindset. Yeah, so you're like, you know, basically talking about Facebook and how slimy they are and um, the fact that they didn't think about anything like that when they were doing their uh, design work. They were just trying to maximize um, the amount of ad dollars that they could bring in and they would just turn knobs and it's like, oh, this knob made more money come through this faucet. Let's turn it a little more. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. without actually thinking about what the ramifications of that could be. And especially when you're, you know, and nobody's really thought about that, just like at the scale that Facebook is mm -hmm. and the amount of people it touches and the amount of interaction it gets from, you know, the number of people across the entire world. It's hard to predict that the thing, the bad things that have happened because of that, um, based upon the fact that they're just, you know, tweaking knobs to 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 bring in more money. Um, so I think that, you know more and more companies are looking to like oh yeah we also not only want to turn knobs that 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 bring money through the faucet but also making sure that we're not you know making people die or um, <laughs> influencing elections in weird ways or let allowing you know people to influence elections in weird ways or um you know things like that so i th think that's mm -hmm. definitely they're they're um hopefully the culture in Silicon Valley is changing in good ways. You know, we've also had, you know, things, you know, other companies like Uber that have had bad um, problems with the uh, <laughs> the um, the incentive to just maximize profits at all costs and, you know, just generally be dicks. Um, <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, so I mean, so you're. So I think that's maybe kind of part of the, the, the design strategist thing is like, you know, not making sure that, you know, the business strategy is also ethical. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and without naming any names, 
The, I'm sorry, I, I named a lot of names. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ones that uh, I actually have worked for, I, I should say. Oh, okay, good. Um, I've not worked for any of the companies I've mentioned. I had a uh, a former employer, and um, we were working on you know some specific issues around uh, signups and retentions and and maximizing revenue. And we were doing things that um, would later become known as dark patterns um, that were intended to essentially create friction on the way out the door, um, which, again, in, in my opinion. Did you work at, at the, the cable company? <laughs> As a matter of fact, yes. <laughs> but, yeah, so, you know. Certainly not doing anything uh, classically unethical, but definitely doing our best to save the customer, as we like to call it, uh, <laughs> you know, right. with, a, with a, a wink and a nudge. But, you know, even in that situation, where I was like uh, discussing some of my distaste for some of the tactics that we were using to try to do this and even questioning, like, you know, are we flirting with ethical considerations here? Um, one of my colleagues reminded me that we had an ethical obligation to maximize shareholder returns that we, you know, as a matter of fact, as a legal fact, we were responsible for making these people as much money as we possibly could. And I remember like it was a, a radical change of perspective to me to say like, oh, wow. So here we are, you know, in a classically ethical situation, um, but the new rules of the road don't consider these things. It was, um, I think, after that that I heard uh, Brandon Shower um, with Adaptive Path at a at one of their conferences, and um, I think he was the one who was using the the phrase the the triple bottom line, where it was talking about not just profit but also people and the planet. And so we're you know increasingly we're expecting companies to do good by you know all of those bottom lines not just the profits right and i believe i mean and i don't know what it's called and i'm talking way out of my range here but there's an actual company type that you can mm -hmm. file as that is not only just profit for the your your shareholders but also some sort of do-goodery clause mm -hmm. in there so that you can also you know not be a dick to the earth while you're um, <laughs> being a, being a business or you know or you can do you know other things that are like good for mankind as opposed to just mm -hmm. the, the 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 shareholders and and of your company so i believe I, that's I, a 501b if i'm not mistaken is that what it is i think so yeah so i i, I think it's really uh an interesting new domain that we're moving into where we're trying to, um, you know, generate design strategies that satisfy all of the parties, um, you know, internal and external and not just be, you know, driven by kind of a, a single lens, a single point of view. Right. And I think like the, you know, the very large company, like the large, as uh, Ben Thompson put it, the large super aggregator companies, um, mm -hmm. I think of bringing this to light even more so because of the amount of um, influence and and um, touch points that they have with the number of people and the magnitude of that um, across the entire world. Um, when you make decisions that are um, not considering the, the the good of mankind and the earth, then there is um, there, there's consequences to that. And I think that because you know the, their status as a super aggregator. Um, 
kind of magnifies uh, the fact that, oh, yeah, you kind of have to pay attention to that stuff because there are so many unintended consequences of just turning the fa- money faucet on mm-hmm. that they didn't consider in the past. And now we're <laughs> seeing that. And so that's a, probably a good thing because then we can, you know, other companies can look at this like, oh, yeah, we don't want to we, we, we don't want to do that. We don't you know, we want to be, you know, a, a, a force for good. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I obviously that's not totally the case. Um, <laughs> even silly little stuff has so much more impact when you're at that scale. Yep. So when you're talking about, uh, you know, the super aggregators, I immediately thought about that case with uh, Twitter where an employee on the way out um, either locked or disabled somehow the president's uh, Twitter account. Yep. And, you know, in in the normal universe, you know, and just at regular people scale, Doing something like that would be considered, you know, um, unprofessional and whatever, you know, kind of a, 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 a silly thing to do on the way out the door, but not that big of a deal. Right. You can just you switch the account back on and OK, no, no, no big deal. But because it's Twitter and because of the in- amount of users and because it's the president and the, you know, the polarized feelings about him one way or the other. Um, it creates this huge black eye for the company that, you know, then raises all the, you know, the the Monday morning <laughs> quarterbacking to say, you know, well, where were the controls that prevented this kind of uh, thing from from happening? And I just turned into a, a senator uh, running an inquisition. <laughs> where do you get to the point where you can actually push back on a business strategy because it is being unethical or it there is unintended consequences that you can reveal that might happen i mean i I, I bet that's probably like imagine you're 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 design guy at facebook Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you're like oh my gosh that we we could you know doing this thing will open up our platform to do all all these bad things that could that could happen and Mm -hmm. you know um, people in myanmar can die for instance you know if 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 somebody could have even foreseen that happening, mm-hmm. how do you take that to the business and say, "Hey, people could <laughs> people could die if we do this thing, right?" Um, and I know that's kind of a I don't know it's a, it's kind of a weird situation, but you can think about you know if you could have even predicted that, how do you could you actually influence the business to say, "Hey, we shouldn't do this because"? Yeah, I think it's. It's everybody's responsibility in, in this day and age that if you have an ethical concern that you've got to bring it up. I, I don't think that's ever an exception, but I think we're getting to a level of uh, sophistication in you know, the, the product design and development world to where now it, it merits having people kind of assigned to you know, some of that work where you're specifically trying to look around some of those blind corners and unintended consequences because, uh, you know... It, even if you were to say something like, you know, Facebook is a perfectly ethical organization, their ability to screw up the world just on accident is, is mind boggling, right? Like just, you know, I I heard an interview where they were talking about, they could do an AB test by using the nation of New Zealand, because that's like roughly, you know, whatever, we have 10% of their overall population of users. And so it was like this great little test bed and they would, you know, try out new features over there. And it's like, oh, that's all fine and good. But unless there's something that just, even if it's unintended consequences, has the ability to like 
you know, screw up. Yeah, it seems weird that they would just pick an island like New Zealand. That's like, you know, it, you know, bringing the frog from the United States and letting it go in New Zealand and totally wiping out, you know, an entire species of, of something that completely kills the ecology and then the whole plant, the whole island dies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So as far as like um, my, my triangle diagram goes, um, one of the big things that I wanted to dig into is uh, was making vision tangible. So I think a, you know, what do I call a, a typical design job or, you know, um, historically how kind of UX processes would happen. Um, most of the time, there's going to be a vision of, you know, either some sort of a product leader or an executive or a founder who's, you know, who's really got a, a strong vision in their head and, you know, in the best circumstances is able to get that vision out to everybody. So it's all a shared vision and everybody's kind of moving in the same direction. I think where, you know, one area where designers are um, well suited to, uh, to, to grow is into that realm of recognizing when the vision is not in fact tangible that it's has not been well shared and that people aren't working together towards a common goal and in that case um, certainly to help articulate that vision but in some cases to even you know drive what that vision should be at most of the places where I, the product companies that i've worked at that has been a huge problem and i've seen it talking to you know the sea level uh saying you know it's like hey you know i'm kind of saying you know it's not really clear i don't think everybody's on the same page of you know what the vision is and they're just like puzzled by this because no we've talked that we talked we clearly stated what the vision was at the quarterly meeting and so we everybody knows what it is right because we said it at the quarterly <laughs> right. meeting and then therefore everybody is is on the same page moving in the mm -hmm. right direction and getting them to realize that hey you can't just say it at the quarterly meeting it has to be something that's articulated often it has to be articulated in, in many different channels it has to be articulated in many different ways and different manifestations of the message mm -hmm. um it has to be done you know in presentation level but also has to be like built into the you know objectives and res key results of 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 you know each of the teams that are moving towards that 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 vision and it has to be all aligned that has to be visible all the way throughout the company and so just saying what the vision is at, at the quarterly meeting is it's just not enough and i think you're you know you are correct and you know us as designers are really good at you know finding ways where we can you know make that that vision more tangible make it um find ways to to put it into the um the different work streams into the you know the different teams and 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 and, and have that shared understanding of what it is by building it into all our processes and into our objectives um <laughs> and so yeah i think that um that that disconnect is of of ceos and, and c-level people and hey we here's the vision and why doesn't everybody know what the vision is is is, is a real problem even if you have that a vision that's clearly articulated um i've i've also been in situations where that vision doesn't appear to have a connection to the business strategy so i'm thinking in terms of like um, where we say, you know, our vision is to, you know, be some kind of sophisticated, crazy, cutting edge technology leader. 
but you know from from my seat i'm just working on like little you know bug fixes or you know like little small short-term wins and maybe there has been a, a really concerted effort to say like well our strategy is to clean up technical debt so that we can execute against the vision but sometimes that that linkage between what the vision is and the immediate business strategy that we're following is not clear and so i think that's yet another you know uh, commonplace where you know the strategy just goes off the rails because um, you know, the, the, the line level employee has no visibility into like, how does what I'm working on actually contribute to making that vision a reality? Yeah, agreed. Um, it's, it's sometimes, sometimes it's really, really hard to like make that connection up, you know, especially the, the larger you get, you know, the larger company you're in, um, you know, making that connection to how I fit into that is, um, is, is, is sometimes really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you also have the problem of, yeah, here's the strategy, but, in my part of the company, I need to do X, Y, and Z so that I can make myself look better and I can make, you know, I'm building right, little yeah. fiefdoms and being, you know, and, and all that stuff. And so that's sometimes very hard to, if you don't have a big solid strategy that you're, you know, you're continually communicating and, and, and drilling into the rest of the company, then, you know, um, people make up their own strategy, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. It's like the, at the absence of shared understanding of what the vision is, people will get their own vision and they will march towards that. And right. um, so it's re that's why, you know, that's why all this is so important. Um, if you want to be really efficient with a company, a company, you know, be, you know, work quickly, um, evolve quickly, you know, keep up with the people in the market and, 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 and pull ahead of their competitors. You can't do it unless everybody's marching in the same direction. And you can't all mark in the same direction if we don't all have shared understanding what the vision are and, 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 and how to get there and how my particular part fits into that entire thing. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as the design strategist goes, I, I think that then, you know, there's that, that third piece where, again, in the absence of, uh, of a plan foisted upon you, um, you're trying to help uh, map out that plan of how everybody collectively is going to get there. So again, none of these things is necessarily solely the job of a designer or a design strategist, um, but it's the kind of areas that I think uh, a design strategist mm -hmm. um, can be very helpful and, and add a lot of value to. Well, and I think it's really interesting that um, a lot of different thought leaders in the UX community are talking about things like this and are really business savvy in recognizing the importance of being able to, you know, um, make this, the, mm -hmm. the, the vision really clear and getting everybody aligned um, in, in companies on that. Um, for example, you know, somebody like Christina Wootke, who um, wrote mm -hmm. a book about um, how to use objectives and key results in, you know, in, 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 a, in a product company, um, because it's so important and it's a really good way to get everybody moving in the right direction. And, you know, she she comes from a UX background and um, now, you know, and she um, uh, just the fact that, you know, people in our industry like see these problems or it's like, hey, we can we can we can fix these problems with, you know, you know either through you know design thinking or design mm -hmm. practices or just like really good um uh frameworks like you know objectives and key results and being able to communicate in a really um interesting way th how valuable they are in in the book she wrote about it um called uh radical focus um 
Um, so books like that um, written by people in our industry about how to get companies, you know, moving in the right direction. That is not, you know, hey, let's uh, what's a better way to make this button more usable? It's uh, <laughs> how do we change the culture of companies to be more effective? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So when I think about those uh, those those three points um, that I brought up, um, those all seem to be really geared towards an internal audience. And I, I do think it's really important for a design strategist to also be outward facing. So talking to end users and to customers and to, you know, stakeholders of, of any sort. Um, so, you know, that's that that's an important thing to to keep in mind. And, you know, as I develop my <laughs> ability to articulate what a design strategist does, you know, I'll try to figure out a way to work that in there, except that that would make four points, which makes a square. So and you can't uh, do that. You have that. So. <laughs> so, do you, so do you have like the 30 second um, elevator pitch now or you're going to you're going to work on that one? So that, because you can't just talk or you can't ramble on for forty minutes about what a design strategy is when somebody asks you. So. <laughs> right, I'll be like, like, we just did. I've got a podcast on that very subject, <laughs> and we talk about Facebook, and we go into super aggregators, and we uh, <laughs> about people dying in Myanmar, and it's yeah, it's great. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like it was one of those uh, meandering family guy cutaways. <laughs> You're like, that's design strategy. <laughs> and that is a design strategist. Well, let me take a, a crack at it. I'm uh, trying to do it cold here. So a UX strategist makes the vision tangible, connects the vision to the business strategy, and helps create a plan to execute the strategy. I don't know. I still don't feel like it encapsulates everything. <laughs> Well, how about uh, stuff designers love? Oh man, stuff designers love. Do -do 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 -do. <laughs> stuff designers love. <laughs> it never gets old to me. Really, I'm really gonna have to re record something for that. Make a note of it. Stuff designers love jingle. So uh, we went to a a tiki oh, bar. Nice in Fort, uh, Fort Wayne, in Indianapolis. So my guy I used to live with for many years and played in bands with, um, he's been in the restaurant business for a while and he was like running, um, a, he was GM at a, at a restaurant. He's like run um, bar programs and mm -hmm. things like that. And uh, the last restaurant he was working at, he you know, has been pretty good with the owner and they decided they're going to open a tiki bar. So now he's part owner in a, uh, tiki bar that they opened in uh, Fountain Square in Indianapolis, and um, it they spent like eighteen months building oh, wow. this bar. That sounds like a really really long time, but if you walk into the place and you see the decor there and the amount of level of detail they put into it, it's actually truly amazing. Is like the coolest like decor of a tiki bar you've ever seen in your life. They um, at the, while they were going through the process of decorating it and and do, and 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 doing it all up, they were also looking for, um, uh, you know, Polynesian artifacts and masks and and things like that. And they ran. They they somehow came across this uh, 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 Indiana University professor who is uh, into paleontology and stuff, and he had a huge collection of of 
like artifacts from Papua New Guinea, like the largest collection of uh, artifacts from Papua New Guinea outside of a museum. Um, and he had died recently and had an estate. And so my friend went out there to go. He was like, you know, finding pieces here and there of, of, of different different places. And he found out about this. So he was like, uh, they probably just have a couple of things, but I'll go down there anyway. Ended up having this gigantic collection of like masks and and ceremonial head dresses and and, you know, just all kinds of stuff. And he like called back to his 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 business partner. He's like, um, we should just buy the entire estate. And so that's what they they ended up doing. And so um, he showed me every, everything in the, the bar. The bar he took us on a tour and everything, and showed us all the stuff. And it was really really great. But it was like really wow. I was just like, and it's funny because like if you knew this, the, my friend, you would be like, this is the bar that he would have created if he had the chance, and he got to do it, which was really cool. Yeah. So it's so like it, it was pretty cool. It's called the. It's called the Inferno Room. It's in uh, Fountain Square in Indianapolis, the Indiana. Inferno Room, and it is, yeah. They were like, yeah, they were like talking about that name too, and they were just like, we're we're really lucky because there's like no other bar in the entire United States called the Inferno Room, which is like seems crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Now I really want to go there. That sounds really cool. And yeah, and so he's like, and you know, they're like very into. He's worked in you know pretty mm-hmm. high-end restaurants so um you know they're very into like you know authentic ingredients they they make all of their own syrups and 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 stuff for the for the, the the tiki drinks and they've got like oh my god they probably had 50 different types of rum oh my goodness there <laughs> yeah like and they also sold bottles of rum too they, i actually bought a bottle of rum from them is like this a uh, plantation um eight-year-old um cask conditioned um rum that was bottled specifically for the inferno room in indianapolis is from some some uh uh distillery in panama or something like that so it's pretty cool amazing we'll check it out inferno room in indianapolis yeah i want to go back i wanted to (laughs) because like another thing about it is like they really researched like you know what they wanted in a tiki bar so they like went to a bunch of different tiki bars around the the country and one of the things that really you know is like and and in any bar experience um is like the standing room right so you know you got you, you you've got you've got seating at the bar and then you've got standing room you typically mm-hmm. behind the bar right and it sucks because it's like well you're standing there you want to get a drink and you have to like kind of snake yourself between two people that are already mm-hmm. sitting down and you have to like yell across to the bartender and you have to like touch people Ugh. and get in their way and stuff and they were just like we're not going to do that right and so they have no standing room it's just like a restaurant where you get a seat oh. you know you we seat you at the bar you seat it at a table or whatever like that and you get seats and and they do no standing room whatsoever so you don't ever have that problem now they had the issue of like people complaining because you know people are standing outside uh-huh. in line to get into this place because it's sure, new sure. and everybody wants to you know check it out and stuff and they still do get lines on the on the weekends, but they're like nope I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna have standing room because it's gonna it's gonna ruin the experience it's gonna ruin the amb- ambiance they they want to have a place where people can escape yeah. right and be relaxed and enjoy a really amazing cocktail and good food in a really cool interesting environment and if you have standing room and you just let everybody in there they could make more money but the you know it, w- it would ruin the you know the 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 feel and the the, the experience of being oh, there man. so 
I thought it was really cool that they just like, you know, they're, they're really into that, you know, making sure the experience is good and, 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 and not, um, facilitating the, 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 the things like standing room that facilitate a really bad experience at a bar. No, that's awesome to hear about people really, you know, connected to the experience that people are going to have. Cause that's one of the big things that, you know, makes me hate stuff like a happy hour is anywhere you go, there's nowhere to sit. If you are lucky enough to get a seat, then you're going to have somebody's crotch in your face as they're trying to order their drink, you know, at the, at the bar. And it's yep. just, it's the worst. So for uh, an introvert like me, man, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it was, it was really good. I, if they had that bar, like within a few miles of my house, I would go there a lot. I love uh, the Amazon. I don't, know, I don't know. It's just called Amazon at Irvine. So it's not really an Amazon store. It's basically just like a designated spot to drop off and pick up stuff. And so, um, you know, to, to optimize their operations around here, um, Amazon in Orange County has uh, tried to kind of scale down, I think, the number of places where they service, you know, walk in and walk out. They did a pilot program not too long ago through the Kohl's store where you could actually take returns to Kohl's and just drop them off. And I think Kohl's was looking at it as an opportunity to do a partnership. Like they gave me a, a big coupon. Oh, hey, thanks for using uh, you know Amazon returns at Kohl's. And here's a here's a coupon for you. But uh, they don't seem to be or if they are still doing that, it's, you know, certain stuff has to go through certain places, uh, you know, as far as the, the shipping uh, process goes. Um, but uh, we got both the Ninja Foodie Cooker um, from Santa Claus as well as the instant pot from Santa Claus. Ah, the yeah. instant pot. And so, um, you know, I, I told my wife, I'm going to stay out of it. You do the research, you decide which one you want because, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to be the primary user of, of these things as much as I love gadgets. And as much as I love researching gadgets day to day, it's not going to be my thing. So, she did the research. She landed on the Instant Pot, and I had to take uh, the Ninja Foodie, uh, you know, back to uh, to Amazon. And oh, it was a big beast of a box. It was heavy. Um, so what I love is this uh, this storefront experience that they've come up with to facilitate pickups and returns. Um, you walk in. Um, the only thing missing from the experience that they've designed is uh, an electric powered door so that when you have your hands full the door slides open automatically that would have been a nice touch <laughs> uh, but other than that uh, you go in and there's a place where you can um, print out a, a return label because that was about to be a problem for me like my printer was out of toner and so I didn't have the slip and I'm like ah oh, they're gonna you know turn me away because I don't have the thing printed no worries you just walk in you sign into a little kiosk it prints you out your label that you needed um, you can also pick up stuff. So if you want to, you know, pick stuff, uh, you know, have stuff delivered there, you can just pick it up kind of like a, a PO box. Um, and then they had helpful staff walking around. Um, so it was kind of like a step above the best post office I've ever been to. Um, you know, I, I, there's a post office near me that I, I literally love cause they're just amazing there. Really? <laughs> I, I know i yeah. wow that's like <laughs> hard, next hard thing next thing you're gonna tell me is like the dmv yeah, is right. awesome I, I had so much fun at the dmv the other day <laughs> uh 
Uh, yeah, no, it's, a, it's not to be believed, but there's a, a post office in Laguna Niguel that's just the staff is really friendly and helpful and just help you get stuff done. Um, it was a lot like that at the Amazon store, but even I'd say a little bit better because there's people actively walking around. And as soon as they saw me come in with the big box, she's like, oh, come right over here, right over here. And she showed me the counter space and she told me how to print out my thing. It was it was better than the airport check in. It was better than the post office. It was it was a great experience. Thank you.